0: Okay. Shabbat Shalom and good morning. Good morning, Michelle and Elias. Dan will be joining us in a minute when the hashkama minion is over. Um, and good morning, David and Brian. Thank you. And good morning, all of you, for tuning in. Let's begin by thanking God for the gift of learning Torah together. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech ha'olam. Asher Torah. Vaharevna Adanay Elohinu, Ettivray Taratha Bafinu, Ubafi Amcha beisrael, Vinihya Anahnu Vatsa Ainu Vatatsa Amcha beisrael, Kulana Yod e Shamecha, Valam De Tora Techalishma, Boruch Ataranoi Hamlame Torah La Amor Yisrael. boruch Ataranoi Elohinu Malach Alam. I share Bakhar Bhanu Mi Kohamim, Vnatan Lanu at Torato. Baruch noy, noten hatorah. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Uh, this morning, I'm so excited for what we're going to do. It's a little bit different. I wanted to um, play off two texts against one another. One is uh, the song Eleanor Rigby, and we're going to hear the music. And I also want to encourage you to read the lyrics. And here's the basic question I have about <laughs> Eleanor Rigby uh, What is her backstory? And here's the basic question. Is Eleanor Rigby about a woman named Eleanor Rigby? It's about her. In which case, it's kind of just a sad song. Or is Eleanor Rigby about us? Are we Eleanor Rigby, potentially? Do we have Eleanor Rigby in our life? Are we headed to becoming Eleanor Rigby? Are we one bad break? away from being Eleanor Rigby. How many Eleanor Rigby's do we have at Temple Emanuel today, a year into the pandemic? Uh, what's the backstory? How does one become Eleanor Rigby? And then the second text is, how does a community respond to Eleanor Rigby? And that's going to be Halach Ma'anya from the Pesach Seder. So what we're going to do is, first, I'm going to ask Brian Levsky, our indefatigable uh webmaster, zoomaster, etc. to play Eleanor Rigby. Brian, please, and please take a look at the lyrics because we're actually going to literally unpack the lyrics after we hear the music. Brian, thank you. Thank you.
1: So church Judge-
0: Let me begin by asking Elias, the um, the Wesley Gardensworth senior cantor at Temple Emanuel. Elias, what do you think of that song? First of all, just because you, you know, you're really a music person, uh, you make song for That's Your Soul. Uh, what do you think of the song, and, and what does it do to you emotionally?
2: Well, uh, I'm sorry, but I have to say, everybody, you'll forgive me, you know, the sermon nobody will hear and darming his socks i thought about you wes immediately <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot eh? you know preparing your socks in the night before for yeah. the talmud class <laughs> 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 anyways so um i this is such a special song and you know i mean you you can read it here it's the first time that Lennon, mccartney harrison and, and Starr didn't play an instrument for a song it's the first-hand of what? That they didn't play an instrument for the song. Okay. The song is them doing the vocals, and it's all strings. Okay. Okay, strings. They had, like, three violins, four viol- two viol- violas, two cellos. That's highly unusual. And it was also very highly unusual. I wasn't alive then. But very highly unusual because always the Beatles songs were, like, pop peppy and, you know, about love and about stuff. And this was, in a way, a depressing song. Right. Very depressing song. Uh, I love. I love how the music melodically it's done, and the, and the beauty of it is, is just very beautiful, and the harmonies, the message, it's on the other side. It's like, you know, so sad. And uh, it's a story, actually, about two lonely people, because let's not forget about Father Mackenzie. Right. Who darn his socks.
0: Yes, we'll get to that. But, uh, can, but can you say a word, because you're the music guy here, uh, what's the meaning of the strings, the violin, the cello, and the fact that you brought that... the conversation that it's all strings and how does that reinforce the meaning and the message of the song?
2: I'm not so sure it it reinforces the meaning of the message what what they did something that it was very unusual for the day which is they you know the Beatles started like like you know like a rock rock and roll band and then sort of going to pop and then they were experimenting more more with music and with different types of sounds and this reflects the era 66. It's interesting because um, McCartney said that he sat down in the piano and started to do a few chords and this and that, and then they thought about this idea of of bringing the strings to to sort of making it more like a classical music, you know, like more mm. intense, and and it's not a straight line. They do the, the violins, if you hear, is like
0: like something that is, you know, in a way. Punching Your Heart. P- punching Your Heart. So, Michelle, speaking of Punching Your Heart, what's the message of this song?
3: Yeah, bef- before I get there, can I ask you, Cantor, is there a musical name for this kind of a uh, song that has an upbeat melody but a sad lyrics or sad lyrics uh, or upbeat lyrics but sad melody? Because I, I, I feel like we hear that throughout our liturgy at, times where we'll say something like if you think about in the birkat hamazon right we're talking about babies heads being you know i sat by the waters of babylon and we're right, smashing right. heads and we're like da da
0: a perfect right.
3: example right that right. we have this sense that you know there's this really incredibly sad message and we have a relatively upbeat melody. Is there, there's no name for that phenomenon?
2: I don't think there is a name for that. It's just a matter of, you know, who decides to write and what they, the, the feelings they brought, they bring into the composition and how they see themselves, you know, and how they interpret their song. Uh, not d- necessarily has to do with uh, with the lyrics. Right. Not, right. not I, to I get off anybody here, yeah. but he dear, comes to mind, <laughs> him so Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or think
0: about, I mean, this is a little bit pre-pandemic, but think about Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah. But dear Evan Hansen, the suicidal kid, and the song is very bouncy, jouncy, upbeat, and the lyrics are, I want to kill myself. Yeah, so right. if there's so, not a
3: name for that, there is, should be.
2: Rabbi Michelle Robinson, this song, is it's not like that. You know, I, I actually
3: it's think it's
0: a it, beautiful song, but it's not an upbeat song. It's a oh, haunting song. But it, anyway, can we just talk about the message? Michelle, what's the message? Yes. The song?
3: <laughs> um So I actually find that message to be paralleled in the in the sort of upbeat feeling that you get from the music like that together with the the sadness and the intensity of the loneliness in that so often when we are alone and we're lonely the world is kind of marching on without us and they're Mm. in, in their own happy pace all around and your loneliness is magnified by the fact that you are experiencing it in a way that feels like you're alone.
0: So let me just uh, pick up on that. I want to do a very you know, Jewish theological seminary textual analysis, Talmud class move, which is to put two lines under the microscope, okay? Um, And and what you're saying is that there's this creative dissonance between sad and and upbeat lyrics, and it is to enforce that the world goes around you even though you're alone and lonely and miserable. So here's two lines I want to ask you all to think about. Picks up the rice, in the church where a wedding has been. That's the first one. And then wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. That's the second one. So picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been. What is that?
3: I mean, for me, it's a magnification of exactly... this tension, which is that, I mean, how many of us have been at Simchas and, you know, there's the Hora dancing and there's all that's going on and you feel like you don't quite belong. Maybe there's, you've had Mm. a loss or maybe you're struggling with a job or with a relationship and you can't quite get yourself into that Hora dance, but Mm. you know, you got to get into the Hora. So you kind of put on the, the shiny face.
0: So and, Right, so she's know, not, classmates. Eleanor Rigby is not a bride at this wedding. She's That's on the outside of this wedding. That's my Right, she's on the outside of this wedding. Uh, Lord Dan Nesson or Elias, what do you guys have a, a view on this rice line?
1: I have a couple of things. First of all, um, I, w- I was thinking about initially this, um, the fact that the Beatles were like in their very early 20s when they write this song. And people in their really, early 20s, well, now in pandemic, you know, kids are lonely. But beforehand, um, there was not this gigantic sense of loneliness, you know, that, that, that people have. And I thought it's just an interesting thing that these very young um, musicians who- Rock have, stars, literally. Rock stars, yes. These very young rock stars who have absolutely everything going for them, f- look around them and they, and, and you know, Paul McCartney and, and John Lennon, absolute geniuses, looking around them and seeing, look at the world. The world, everybody. Basically, he's saying the human condition. They're saying the human condition is that no matter how much we are together in our in our in our heads and in our hearts, in essence, we're we're all alone. I mean, I was just thinking, like, how sad it is to think that you know, pe- that during the pandemic, that people die alone. They can't be with their families. And this is the, the sense of loneliness that, that these musicians had at this early age. Is uh, the sense of uh, understanding the world and the human condition is mm. really profound. That's it's a really, really beautiful point. Yeah.
0: Here they are the opposite of alone and the opposite of lonely, and they have this preternatural connection. To the reality of a loneliness that they don't themselves experience, right,
3: or right. or perhaps they do. I mean, you ask the question: Is she the bride or is she not the bride? You could right. you could see these words from either perspective, and indeed they have. If you watch some of the music videos that have been created over time by fans right. of this song, one of the descriptions puts her as the bride, but she's no longer that young bride, and right. she's moving on. And Father McKenzie, who is the, you know perhaps right. even her partner, and right. we'll get are Father McKenzie. Box, right, and they're they're darning and and this idea of how even sometimes when you're in the prime of your life and when you're experiencing these things as we move through the cycle of our lives, those all can become losses,
0: yeah, um so Dan, let me just go to you, uh wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door, Lord Dan Nesson, what do you do with that
1: um, i i I think this is just a, this is all about makeup. Uh, and, and, and But makeup in the sense that um, it's the mask that we wear, mm. not, not not the blue masks that we're wearing, but the mask that we wear in public, you know, because she could step out onto the street and no one knows that she's the loneliest person. She could be, you know, chit-chatting with everybody on the street. So, we, don't, uh, we don't know that. In
0: other words, so that's like, uh, hey, Eleanor, how are you? I'm fabulous. There's right. never better. I'm great. I'm great. How are you? The facade. A facade, right. Yeah, so that's, facade. that's the yeah. facade. That's the, I'm fab, I'm fab. It's wonderful, amazing. How I was great. And inside, she's not so great.
2: Right. Yeah, and I like, and I like I'm sorry, Lord, are you done? <laughs> so I like what it says, you know, right after picking up the, the rice. To me, picking up the rice is just not a metaphor. It's actually what she does. An action. Picking up the rice. You know, she's the, the, the person who cleans in the church. To me, that's mm. how I see her. Mm-hmm. And living a dream... You know, living a dream, like she feels like she's part of that wedding, but she's not. Mm-hmm. And, and then the other part is the facade, and the facade not only applies to lonely people, but, but to sad people as well. You know, right. when, when we are very sad, and how many times we, you know, our own lives are sad, and we have to come here and do our best face. Right. You know, I always, I mean, some people get upset about that, that, you know, they say, no, but you should be able to show your emotions at the synagogue. It's not like that. You know, when, when your mom died, and, or when my dad passed away, we had to do the best we can here with that sadness. Yeah. And there were celebrations, there were bar mitzvahs, oh, yeah. there was, my there was everything. My mom
0: died on day one of Rosh Hashanah, mm-hmm. and I had to go and do the contemporary service on with day me. two of Rosh Hashanah. I remember that. And I remember I was hugging you at the bima because I basically needed your strength to get through that service. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Uh, I remember I was holding you because my mom had just died, and, and there were like, this is pre-pandemic, 700 people in the, con- in, in the Addison Community Hall, and we had a Rosh Hashanah service to do, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I hear, I have a question though. What? So they asked these two questions, all the lonely people, where do they all come from, and all the lonely people, where do they all belong? Does the song answer these questions? No, definitely. No, no. okay. Let's talk then about, let's talk about, we'll get to your own sense of this, but um Father McKinsey. Um, what how did you guys relate? You know, he's clergy and we're clergy. He's clergy to a lonely person in a lonely time. We're clergy in a pandemic. How did you connect with Father McKinsey?
1: So I I just I just pictured him similar to what Elias just said, you know, someone who um, who stands in front of his congregation, and is the pillar of strength, and is the pillar of, um, uh, you know, of, of um, the, the the pillar of the, uh, the pillar of the community, the pillar of the, com- of the of strength. And then, but you know, this, but he's he's you know, you picture him, he's wiping the dirt off of his hands. He's just. It's a, it's a moment of great sadness, and it's the sadness that again we, oftentimes as clergy, can't show or, or you know try not to show, uh, in uh, in in moments of sadness. And um, you know, and and I think that he's a person who is trying to do his best to be there for everybody, uh, at the um, at the expense of his own soul. Mm. So,
2: <laughs> I mean, I just hope that that Father Mackenzie lives in an era of of COVID and not in an era of no COVID, because doing a sermon for 600 people and nobody listens to you is much worse than to do it (laughs) with an empty sanctuary.
3: I actually think that that's such... I I love this song. One of the great brilliances that they brought to this writing of these words is how really complex they are and how they can be looked at from multiple directions because of course you could imagine Father McKenzie who's sort of that beaten down I think back to an era when people didn't really want to go to church the young people you know all the all of their fans the Beatles fans were not you know thrilled to go to church and in fact they may be talking about an empty church where you know this dutiful pastor is coming and he's continuing to do this in a in a lonely lockdown way or they could actually be talking about there could be six hundred people there, Elias, and and even though there's the sermon and even though it's being delivered, it's not hitting right. It, he's it, people aren't hearing We've it, and that. therefore and therefore yeah. there's the existential loneliness that he's carrying of I'm engaged in something which is so profoundly meaningful to me. And, and, and I'm alone. My people aren't with me in this. I mean, right. I think about the ways in which when I used to insist that people have kosher celebrations for their weddings. That was right. what I was taught in rabbinical right. school, right? You come and you have a kosher ceremony and people would look at me like I had six heads. Right. And and there is a loneliness yeah. about that that doesn't have to do with who's in the church or who's in the right. shul. But
0: but if you're able to connect the message. So I want to, I before we head to the, the Seder... Um, and the Haggadah, I want to turn to me to the central question here, which is who is Eleanor Rigby? And is this song about a woman named Eleanor Rigby, you know, real or mythological, right? Metaphorical or historical, it doesn't matter. Uh, but is it about her or is it about us? That's the key question. Are we Eleanor Rigby? Are we a step away? Are we a bad breakaway from Eleanor Rigby? and i and and um what's the backstory like why is it that eleanor rigby has nobody at her funeral where's eleanor rigby's brothers where's eleanor rigby's sisters where's eleanor rigby's friends where's eleanor rigby's you know neighbors where are eleanor rigby's the 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 people that knew her from grade school where are the people in her life how did she get to be you know buried along with her name that's the that and that is the backstory and of course that's that's the question the song leaves us with but uh, it's time to do a midrash on Eleanor Rigby. What's the backstory on Eleanor Rigby? Lord Dan Nesson. Uh,
1: okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, uh, right. Thank you. Um, I was actually watching uh, some videos online of Paul McCartney talking about this song. And one one of the things that he said was he um, when he was a kid... When he was really young, he used to hang out in this. this like a, where he, where he lived it was like um, low-income housing kind of thing, and he said there were these lot of these older ladies that he would just sit around and kibbutz with and learn their stories. So, in some sense, Eleanor Rigby is is uh, is a composite of, of of real people, and I think I think in another sense, Eleanor Rigby is a um, is a composite of something that that's part of all of us. I think it's also, I think he's a, they're expressing here a fear. A fear that um, that that they're going that you know the, the McCartney is expressing fear that he's going to die alone and be buried alone, uh, in which you know all, that we all do in some, in some respect, but that there's a um, that there's a reality to the world that no matter how many people actually come to your funeral, um, uh, that no matter how many people um, are there, that um, that in essence when you you know that when you're gone you're gone and. Um, and that the, av- that the average person doesn't really mostly affect the world. Hmm. So I think that, I think he's, you know, it, it's really, um, I don't know, I'm trying to find the, the, the right adjective, but um, uh, it's really kind of a, a sad look at, uh, at um, uh, you know, at, at, at the human condition, at the world. Uh, but I think that, I think in a certain way, Eleanor re- represents every person. Um,
0: okay. Uh-
2: Less. Uh, it comes to mind a couple of experiences that I had in my 20s in Argentina. So uh, to do a long story short, in Argentina, synagogues don't have their own cemetery. There are like three big cemeteries, and every synagogue goes there. So I for two years, I was the official Hazan at one of the cemeteries. That meant that I was there, and people would come, non-affiliated people, majority of them, they would come and i will do the funeral all right and uh, so t- twice happened something to me that i never seen before and never seen after that mm. which was that there was i was expecting the the cars to arrive and i see the the black funeral home car coming and that was the only one there was a casket with a person nobody else
0: mm. eleanor I mean, rigby
2: eleanor rigby and i remember walking down the um, you know the, the path to go do the burial i was behind the cart was pushed by three guys and i was singing you know uh, the psalm that we do the seven steps
0: you were father mackenzie yes you i was father doing McKinsey. that
2: i was doing that i did that twice and i remember i couldn't sleep that night and i thought how is it possible that she had nobody there are there are different things in life that could happen she had relatives she was straying from her relatives she had relatives the relatives don't close by they don't have the means to travel to be with her uh, maybe she wasn't such a pleasant woman or or man didn't have any enough friends there are reasons for that but it was it was so sad it wow. was so unbelievably sad and uh i in a way you know, I myself, I felt good about it because I really thought about doing the mitzvah, that, you know, I was there with her until the last time. And, you know, it's even more, and more important to the mitzvah when, you always say, when nobody's looking. And uh, But it was such a powerful experience. So to me, this song reflects, you know, one of the cruel realities of life.
3: I I, I really resonate with your story because we've done the equivalent, you know, one or two people at the graveside, but people who were not the immediate mourners who have come and, and that was before COVID. And now we have this COVID reality where in, in some sense, you know, all of us, particularly at the beginning, when they weren't allowing family members to have to sit in your car if you were lucky, you could sit in your car and watch. And then there we were at the graveside kind of trying to represent. And it's so antithetical. One of the amazing gifts of our Jewish tradition is they say that, you know, when you pass away, the minion, the community has to be there mm. for you. That's, that is a critical mitzvah that even if you were Eleanor Rigby in life, that, that you, should, you should never be that. You can never be that because your Jewish community should be surrounding you with people who will honor you. If you don't have someone who is a direct descendant to say Kaddish, then somebody in the community would take that on. And I think one of the most profound things about this song is not just the question of, you know, all the lonely people, where do they come from, where do they belong, but the call that comes out, and I read in this beautiful uh, uh, stuff that it's uh, Ringo's edition (laughs) of uh, all... Look at all the lonely people. Look, look, recognize them, right. see them. Ah, uh, look at all the lonely people. It's not just a wondering. it, it is in some ways a command, a and call it's to a action. it's a call to action, and it's a call to action that uh, our tradition actually asks yeah. us repeatedly and through a structure of mitzvot to heed, to right. say we can't leave a lonely person right. to an Eleanor Rigby funeral.
0: So okay, so I want to pivot to that in a minute. Because I think, in many ways, *Ha Lach is our response to Ringo's interpretation of *Ah, Look at All the Lonely People*. Look and do, look and care, look and act—not just look and, right, uh, throw up your hands. But before we do, I want to just add one extra dimension to the song that hasn't been said yet. I find it not only a sad song and a haunting song; I find it personally a terrifying song. Terrifying. Because I feel like the basic resonance of the song is we are all Eleanor Rigby. You could be married, you know, to to Lorena for fifty or sixty or seventy years, and then Mikey is off somewhere doing his thing, and and David is a rock star, literally traveling the world, right? <laughs> and 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 you know, and you're, right? And you get that they're busy, and they've got their own lives, and they're traveling, and you know. Uh, and your longtime spouse dies. You're now Eleanor Rigby. You're now Eleanor Rigby, right? And in our in our mobile society, where our kids and grandkids live in different cities, right? I live different city than my parents, and Shira lives different city from her parents, and you live in a different city from your parents, and you live in a different city from your parents, right? We right, and that's good, and that's how it should be, right? That we right, but that means that. You know, you want to see your mother, you got to get on a plane and go to Buenos Aires. And it's 20 hours from door to door, right? So um, we're all in this mobile society, which means that it's not hard to imagine. And by the way, we've all done, you know, especially pre-pandemic, we've all been to the homes of somebody who was married for 50, 60, 70 years, and they buried their spouse. And we've all been there. And you say, and, and, and what is harder and what is sadder, than you go to the home where two used to live, and they've lived for sixty years, seventy years, and now. One lives, and you can just literally feel the emptiness. It's like it's palpable, and no villains in this drama. But the kids have their own lives, and they fall, they live in different cities, and the grandkids have their own lives, and they're so busy. 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 They're so busy and you're so alone. We have Eleanor Rigby. So th- that's why it's a terrifying song, because it's not about her. It is just totally, totally, totally about us. So now, the how does the how does the Haggadah respond to Ringo Starr's perush? Ah, look at all the lonely people. So take a look, folks, at Halach Ma'anya, which is in the Haggadah. And this is just so interesting. I just want to start by noting the two contradictions that I put in the teaser that I've always wondered about, right? This is a song of invitation that we want to, we want to, ah, look at all the lonely people. If you don't have a Seder, we want you at our Seder table. So why is it offered in a language that no one understands? Who understands? Nobody. Exactly nobody understands that. And second... What does it mean that you offer it uh, only around the seder table to people who are already there or on the Zoom call to people who are already connected to your call? But mm-hmm. the actual Eleanor Rigby's in our world yeah. who aren't at your seder table, who aren't on your Zoom call. Number one, they're not there to hear it. And if they were, it's in Aramaic, which they don't understand. So can you guys just tackle these two contradictions at the outset of the prayer? So
3: I so first of all, I have to do a B'Shem Omro because I was reading too quickly. Star comes after Ah, uh, the Lonely People, and apparently George Harrison is responsible for Ah, uh, look at all the lonely okay. people. So in good Jewish tradition, okay. B'Shem Omro. Um, but <laughs> but secondly, um, I I think that the... We actually have this incredible tension in our Seder that there's something actually wrong about our Seder. And I had a professor in Jerusalem when I had the blessing of learning up at Schechter that he he said he actually would stop his Seder at this point in time and roam around the streets of Jerusalem until he could find somebody who needed to come to a Seder and then would bring him home or, or her home, because actually he felt like these words are there for a reason and a purpose. And if we're sitting and ignoring them, we can't actually continue our Seders. We haven't done it properly. And so he you know, he would literally make them true. Go find somebody in need and bring them to your seder table year after year. His wife did not love this practice because they had to wait on serving the seder for an awfully long time. Mm. Um, but if you could imagine, like what what would that look like? Today, in all the years that I've held that, I've heard that lesson and I've never stopped my Seder and walked around to look and for who people who need that? a Seder.
0: Right. So, I mean, it's, it's a very noble <laughs> move, but it's just a kind of it's it's, I, it's an extreme move that most of us would not do. Who's going to walk around Newton looking? Right. <laughs> so but what? why Why does this passage and why does the Haggadah put us in the position of this self-contradiction? Uh,
2: so a couple of things. Um i love you wes i love you very much (laughs) you are the best but you know i have to say aramaic is not that far out from hebrew so if you don't understand aramaic that means you don't understand hebrew so you know to some people hebrew will be more foreigner than you know in the same category of aramaic anyways so um i want to bring a personal story and i hope my my wife is okay with this um this morning i woke up and uh we were having breakfast together and um you know she asked me what the Talmud class was about and I mentioned Eleonore Rigby and then Allahamania and uh, and then I said to her you know I don't think I ever done that in my life you know to to bring somebody from from outside an unknown person or somebody who I know who is lonely to invite them to my seder and it's so sad and she said to me my dad used to do that and I said Yeah, I I remember that, but can you tell me more? And she said, you know, her dad, unfortunately, only lived 46 years. He passed away of cancer. And uh, he used to bring people from the synagogue who had nowhere to go on the spot. What are you doing tonight? I don't have any family. I don't do anything. Come with me. And Susana will smile and welcome them to their house. And that was a tradition in the family. And I said to her, you know, why did she do that? Why did he do that? He was such a nice person. He was such a nice person. And interesting enough, you know, they belonged to a German Jewish synagogue where I, I actually met Lorraine. I was the cantor, but they started belonging there before. And that synagogue had a lot of Holocaust survivors, completely lonely, completely without anybody. And there was one woman who was in the concentration camp, and he would bring her all the time. and. Uh, it's such a beautiful story and uh, so close to me. And uh, you know, I never met Lorena's dad. It was so sad. But um.
0: are Mikey or David named for him?
2: Yes, Mikey. Mikey. Her, his name was Miguel in Spanish, which is Michael in English.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: So Lord, I, I mean, I'm thinking about a couple of things. Um, just t- backtracking a tiny bit, when we look at, we say, "Look at all the lonely people," and then also halachma that we invite people. Um, it seems to me that that we, in our lives, will unless we are, we're, unless we're pushed into it, that we ignore that we ignore people. We have to be told, look at the lonely people. We have to be told, hmm. invite people. Um, you know, so that it's it's again, it's like we're we're also insular, like you said. You know, how how many of us have actually invited strangers that we know don't have a place to go to our seders? You know, probably more than we think, but not everybody does that. Um, yeah. And the the, uh, the other thing is, that, you know, the, so the, this invitation at the beginning of the seder. So, I mean, if you think historically of how the seder began, uh, you know, historically this w- this would have been something that you would do in advance. You wouldn't you wouldn't stop your seder that night. You would um, in advance. You would say, oh, you know, I know I know these like six or seven or five or whatever people that have no place to go. I'm going to invite them. Um, you know, and and some of these things that we do. Became formulaic, but they actually, but it was, but it predated. It was predated that they actually were, were were actions that were that that were taken, uh, you know, in advance. So can can, I can I I say
2: something? I I need to say something that it's you know it's always in my head, but I need to say it. So um, I went yesterday, as as soon as we finished our meetings yesterday here, my tradition is I go to Blackers for the challah, and because of the pandemic, people make a line outside. I was literally thirty minutes waiting to buy challah.
3: But it's the best line in town because you yeah. see everybody.
2: It depends if you're a dog or a cat. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, anyways, 30 minutes standing in line to buy challah, and then I thought, you know, can you imagine if you would do a seder with challah? People will make a line to come to your house. <laughs> but with matzah, it's like it's it's an easy mitzvah to do. Come and eat matzah at my house. Wow. Um, Oh, it's delicious.
0: So, Michelle, can I ask you a a dog-cat question? Because you're the (laughs) ultimate dog. I mean, you just love all people. Just so
3: everybody understands what they're talking about. Rabbi Brad Artson once gave a sermon about dog rabbis versus cat rabbis. And the cat rabbis are the ones who are happy in their studies with their books. And the dog rabbis are the ones who love people and need people.
0: Right. And that's (laughs) you. So here's my question. And I, I just wanted to surface a real issue. because. Um, you know, at one level, who could argue with inviting Eleanor Rigby to your Seder, okay? Um, but here's the, the practical problem that I have with that. It's such a beautiful moral thing to do. But, um, you know, over the years, back and especially in the day when we used to have Seders, right, we were, Sher and I would invite folks who were Eleanor Rigby, okay? And the truth is, it does disrupt the chemistry and connectivity of your Seder. Let's say it's, you know you and mike and maya and noah and eli and benjamin and you keep and going eleanor because rigby. she has so many and family. eleanor rigby and now and and now and, and eleanor rigby so the the chemistry and conversation that you would have with eleanor rigby is just mm-hmm. very different and in some ways once you put eleanor rigby around your table or on your zoom call right you have to now it just completely alters the character of that conversation can you speak to that I don't
3: know that I can speak directly to that, but I can say that um, not that kind of the point, right? You can have dinner with your family any night of any week. And thank God during the pandemic, one of the blessings has been for many of us that we have right on Pesach, you're asked to expand a curriculum for your family about what's important in life and mm-hmm. to deal with the deep issues and and the fundamental questions of what makes a life worth living. What is your relationship with God about? What is, you know, the whole Manishtana is about getting kids to engage in these questions about what does redemption look like and how can I be part of helping to make it happen? And and that feels to me like you have a literal representation of what that looks like when you invite someone else into the Seder and give them the space to share their truth about the texts that you're studying. Get out of your comfort zone. Get right. out of your comfort zone. Be be able to learn something and grow. The whole night is about learning. Right. So and this
0: so if you actually take these lines seriously yeah. and if you do it, right, then what you're inviting is not just Eleanor Rigby, a new person, but you're also inviting a growth opportunity. A
3: growth opportunity. And I mean, what's so interesting. And a learning
0: opportunity and a discomfort, a discomfort Correct. opportunity.
3: Correct. And actually, that's part of the point. We're supposed to be uncomfortable, right? And we're supposed to do things that are different on that right. night to get us to ask and to think about different questions in different ways. Right. And I mean, to me, what's really interesting about the article you shared with us, Wes, is that there, there's this whole debate, like, is Eleanor Rigby real? Right. right. And in fact, people have hunted down her grave and Eleanor Rigby is is real. Like there was an actual Eleanor Rigby and there is a grave and, and all of that. But Paul McCartney says, but that that's not I mean, go ahead, buy the, the memorabilia if you want. But like, that's not what I meant. Right. I, I was actually doing a composite. I was trying to give you a metaphor. And I think that applied to our halachmania is another move that we can make. We can insist as my professor did in Jerusalem, on the literal move. There is a Eleanor Rigby. I have seen her grave, right? right. And and therefore, halach is real. I need to go and bring in people to my seder. That is a mitzvah. And by the way, I mean, our tradition would tell us bringing in people to our seder's actually is a mitzvah. The original template on which it is based that we all need to share the pesach offering, you couldn't do that with only one family. You needed right. to bring people in in order to do that. And that's the that's the concrete manifestation. But there's also a metaphorical piece of what Paul McCartney is trying to say. It's like, guys, you know, do <laughs> do halachmania. There are lots of ways to do it. You don't necessarily have to literally have a homeless or poor or or, or um, disadvantaged person in your home in order to do this, although that's nice. Um, but you also can do the mitzvah of providing a Pesach meal. You can, right. you can, you know, go out and um, donate to a charity, which helps people to make sure that they have somewhere safe to be. And there are lots of ways to do Halach Mania in life and in the world. And I think both models are so. Important because you're going to resonate with one sometimes and one another, and
0: we need both. So let me just—I I, want to just end with a dvar Torah from from Rav Soloveitchik, and uh, and then with a and then with a call—a call to action. Uh, the dvar Torah from Rav Soloveitchik is: the Rav notes that if you look at the lines, "Let all who are hungry come and eat; let all who are in need come and share the Pesach meal," he notes that those speak to different issues. Uh, The first is somebody who's hungry physically, like they just have not, they have food insecurity. They just need a meal. But then he notes, the Rav does, that all who are in need come and share the Pesach meal is they have plenty of food in their cupboard. It's not that they're missing uh, protein and and, and grain or matzah or rice or whatever vegetables. They have, they have food. What they don't have is people to eat it with. Uh, It's not what you eat, it's who you eat it with. And the second line is about who you eat it with. Um, And so here's the call that I would love to uh, make um, in the name of uh, members of our shul who are on this, uh, Bob Kahn and Wendy Landon and a bunch of of our lay leaders who have spearheaded this beautiful drive. Uh, Could we be a congregation where there are no lonely people on either the first or the second night of the Pesach Seder? That's a simple question. Could we be a congregation where there's not a single lonely person, not one lonely person, not one lonely person on either night one or night two of Pesach, because everybody has a Seder to attend. Of course, we're in the pandemic, we all know this. So it, that will mean in most cases, attending on Zoom. But so here's the here's the call that I would like to ask all of us to get behind. The big goal, no lonely people on Pesach. No Eleanor Rigby on Pesach. And so if you would be open to inviting another person to your Zoom Seder with all the discomfort and now you have another voice and somebody you don't know and another person to attend to and it's a growth opportunity and it's disruptive and it's awkward but it's important and it's a mitzvah and it's kind of the whole point. If you're open to doing that Um, send an email to me or to the temple. We sent an email earlier in the week uh, to Wendy Landon or to Aaron Mosley that you're prepared to host. And if you are by yourself and you're going to just like not do Pesach, just not have a first Seder or not have a second Seder. Of course, the second Seder, we have the community Seder anyway that that Elias and Michelle do every year. With
3: with a new innovation is that we have a a Zoom table for you to attend. So even if you... um, have a family that you want to put together at your Zoom table on the second night, you can also indicate that you're open to adding in somebody who doesn't have a table. And we also create tables. So if you don't have a table, we will create a table of lots of people who can connect and meet each other. And in past years, that's been a really wonderful experience.
0: Beautiful. So that's night two. But night one, night one, if you don't have a Seder, and let's say, okay, I'm going to do night two. I'll do the communal Seder on night two. But night one, don't let night one go by yourself. Um, Let us know. Email me. Email Wendy Landon. Email Aaron Mosley. Email the temple office. Hey, I could actually use a Seder. Um, We want to make sure that we actually look at all the lonely people because that is all of us. That's all of us. That's not somebody else. That's all of us. That's us X years from now. That's us. All it takes is one bad break. All it takes is your spouse dies. All it takes is your kids and grandkids move out of town. We are Eleanor Rigby, so let's take care of one another. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.